Have you ever played Bible trivia? I was talking with Erica the other day, and she was telling me that when she was little, some of her friends and her were playing Bible trivia, which is very sweet and cute and innocent. And um, they were playing the game, and one of the little girls was asked the question, what should you do if someone smacks you on the cheek, right? The little girl began thinking, right? She's going back into her theological playbook, and she's like, hmm, looking slightly pious, just like, hmm, I think I know. Suddenly the light bulb goes on. She's like, smack him back. Oh, no, that's not the right answer. That's not even close. Like, the right answer is turn the other cheek. Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. And she had missed it pretty profoundly in that. The person we're going to talk about today is King David. And King David was this iconic figure within the Old Testament. He was the great king of Israel, who um, the line of David proceeded all the way to the line of Christ. He is, um, even to this day, the modern nation of Israel, the flag that they have for the nation of Israel has the star of David on it, right? It's a big deal. He is a, he's a really big deal. He's the king who um, created, got peace on all borders for the people of Israel. He did all these things as kind of a dynamic, influential leader and lover of God. He loved God. And he's just, he's, he seems larger than life, doesn't he? When you think of his accomplishments, and we're going to talk about some of that today. But King David just seems such a large figure. And what makes his life possible, from what I've studied, from what I understand, what makes his life possible is that he had trust in God. He trusted in God in hard times because he didn't start trusting God when times got tough. He built his life, the entirety of his existence, on God. As a nobody, David trusted God. Think about that. As a nobody, David trusted God. You may think of David as this this great figure, but really his beginnings are so humble. He lived in a little town called Bethlehem, and he was the youngest of many brothers. And one of the fascinating things about David is being the youngest, he was sent out to pasture the sheep. He went out and did the lowest work. He did the littlest things. He was not, um, he was not you know, the heralded firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, fifthborn. He was David. Wherever the line ended, he was at the end. He was the youngest. He was the runt. What I love about this is out there in the fields in the hills of Judea, Learning to use his sling well. You know, I can just picture him. Like when I was little, you know, you play with a slingshot or you do stuff and just piling up some rocks with his slingshot and just being like, whoosh, and learning to throw accurately. Just learning to use it. Out there on the Judean foothills, guarding the sheep, he would compose psalms. He would write songs. He would play his harp. He was alone. He was isolated. He was kind of the outcast. He was the runt who did the grunt labor. And one of the things about David that I love is his nobodiness is seen so clearly when he wasn't invited to a certain dinner. Remember we talked about Hannah last week, and she had a son named Samuel. Well, Samuel became a great 
judge and prophet in the land of Israel. He was the greatest man of God in their age. And one day the Lord said to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. For there I will tell you and show you who you are to anoint as the new king of Israel. Samuel loaded up the oxen, the veritable minivan of the age, and headed off. He gets to the house of Jesse, and Jesse puts in front of Samuel. First of all, they're like, do you come in peace, man of God? And he's like, yes. And they're like, oh, good, because he was a powerful man. And they, you know, Jesse was like, oh, good, good. And he says, prepare a feast. They have a feast, and he says, show me your sons. He puts all of his sons in front of of Samuel, and there, some of them are large, imposing men, handsome and good-looking, big guys, and, and God's like, nope, not him, not him, not him, not him. They get to the end of the line, and there's nobody who God says anoint him, and Samuel's like, is there anyone else? Like, is there a goat? I don't know what's going on. Is there, is there another son? And this is the response. I mean, there's David. I mean, there's the runt but he didn't even get invited to the dinner. He was a nobody. They didn't even show him off. He didn't count. And Samuel said, go get him and bring him here. When he comes in, it said this of David, that he was a fine-looking boy. He was handsome. He was ruddy. He was red-cheeked, kind of full of it, full of life, you know, Um, just kind of brimming with life. And he was small. He was a little bit smaller. The Lord said, rise, that's the one, anoint him. David didn't get invited to the dinner. David wrote songs alone and and camped alone and spent time alone. He was anointed king and then he was obedient to his dad when his dad said, hey David, this is later on in the story, hey David, do me a favor, not do me a favor, do this thing. Take this bread and cheese and meat, wrap it up and take it to your brothers. They're fighting with King Saul against the Philistines. Take them these provisions and check on their well-being. He got sent on an errand to feed his brothers. He was a nobody even after he was anointed. Then when he gets there, so like he brings his brothers, you know, lunch. So he shows up with Chick-fil-A bags, and they're like, what are you doing here, David? What are you doing? You just came here to get a look at the fighting. You're not here to serve us. You're, you're here because you want to see us fight. Kind of saying, quit being like a looky-loo. And David's like, not so. Dad sent me. He got teased by his older brothers. His older brothers seemed not to like him too much. And he, and he did these things, and he, and he was this person, and, and he was a nobody. Even after he was anointed, he was a nobody. But he was willing to give everything to fight for the name of the Lord. One of my favorite um, lines in Scripture in 1 Samuel 17 is when David is standing there with his brothers. The Israelites are in their ranks in the army out in the field to face the Philistines. And out comes a nine-foot-tall guy. Nine-foot-tall. Shaquille O'Neal is one. He is a big fella. He's a big man. And he's two feet shorter than Goliath. Like, put that into context. If Goliath stood on his tiptoes, he'd smack his head on a basketball rim. 
He was huge. He was massive. And he comes out and he starts yelling and taunting the armies of Israel and their God. And then there's this moment where, like, you know, I just think of him kind of squirrely, a little thin, a little kind of um, in that, you know, that kind of awkward age, big feet, kind of big elbows. Like he, he hasn't filled out yet, King David. And I see him standing there. And this is what he says when, when Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel and they're shaking in their boots, David says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll fight him. And you can almost hear like, oh, no, not him. What? But he was willing. He was willing to go and fight because that Philistine was mocking his God, and he would not have it. As a nobody, David trusted God. As a rising star, David trusted God. David goes out against Goliath as a nobody. And when he leaves the battlefield that day, he has taken the head of the nine-foot giant. He has killed the champion of of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath. He has taken his head off, and he is now the hero. He is a rising star. Killing a giant gets you some really good press. And David was the headline. David got tons of good press. And you know what? Another thing that gets you good press is one military campaign after another. We don't hear about David's brothers anymore. We hear about David after this. David is the story. And David is out there leading military campaigns 15 to 17 years old, the dude's becoming a general, and he is lighting the enemy up. He is doing amazing, and he's winning battle after battle. The people of Israel love David. How do you not love the prodigy, the 15 to 17-year-old kid who kills the nine-footer and leads the army well? People loved David. The soldiers loved David. Everybody loves to fight for a winner. Right? Like you want, if you're an athlete, you want to play for a winner. If you're in theater, you want to work or in, or in you know, film or something, you want to work for a Scorsese. You don't want to work for an unknown. You want to work for somebody who's a winner, somebody who has a track record. The soldiers wanted to fight for David because David was a winner. He had a track record. He was a rising star, and it was hard not to see the meteoric rise of such a young man. Saul's son, the king of Israel, his son, Jonathan, was David's very best friend. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 20. There's a really tender account of how close they were and what buddies they were. David was kind of becoming the very center of the people of Israel. Saul, the king, couldn't help but like him. Saul couldn't help but like King David. And here's what I, or David, not king yet, but um, David, Saul couldn't help it. So here's what we know of King Saul. Saul had a bit of a rise himself. He really took off as an early king. Then he made some mistakes. And it says this, that Saul was tormented by an, an, an impure spirit, an evil spirit. And the only thing that could calm Saul down was what? David playing the harp that he had, like, you know, played out pasturing sheep. I think of this, so when I try to picture David in this setting, you know, you guys know who Hugh Jackman is, you know? He's Wolverine, right? He's Wolverine, 
titanium claws, all jacked up and buff, and like, you know, hairy chest, and he's just like, and he's so tough, and he's awesome with big old lamb chops like Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's also Jean Valjean in a musical, Les Mis, and he's phenomenal. He's also the, the lead in um, The Greatest Showman. He's a little bit of a renaissance man, and if I'm honest, I'm a little jealous, but I can't wrestle him because he'd totally tear me up because he's also Wolverine, right? I also kind of put one other guy into this category. Um, you know The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yeah? Um, I mean, that dude's neck is like an oak stump. I mean, he's a huge guy, and David wasn't a huge guy. But The Rock is this giant. He's a college athlete, a football player. He was a wrestler, um, not the beautiful wrestler that has all the great moves, but the WWE kind of wrestler. But dude's big. Dude's big. He's yoked up. He's a big man. And you see him, and you're like, oh, you see him in his tux, and his neck looks like it's going to pop the buttons off. And then he, like, whoo, whips out a little ukulele. He's like, I see skies of blue. And you're like, what? He's a renaissance man. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a great singer. He's a great actor. He's a great athlete. He has kind of that everything quality. And you like to be around people like that. They're fascinating. They're magnetic. And David was like that. Saul wanted David around. The only thing that would calm Saul down was when David would play and sing when Saul was being tormented by the Spirit. But he would get so mad and he was so jealous of David that one time David's singing, you know, playing his song. I don't know what song it was, but, you know, it's probably one of his hits. And Saul just picks up his spear. He's like, whoo and throws it at him. And David, like, dodges it and runs away. Saul loved David, but he also hated him. David went and did everything he was told to do. When he was a rising star, he didn't grab onto fame. He trusted in God. He did whatever he was instructed. He fought campaigns. He brought his brother's food. He did whatever was asked. He played music for Saul to calm him down. Everything about the way that David conducted himself shows us that whether he was a, a nobody like he was in the beginning or a rising star, his trust in God never wavered. That was the center of his identity. That was the foundation of his life. And as a fugitive, David trusted in God. This is an important reality that we look at. There are 11 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel of David running for his life from King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 20 is the story of David and Jonathan as they weep bitterly because Saul is going to kill him and David takes off. Clear up through 1 Samuel chapter 31, David's running for his life from King Saul. He cried out to God time and time again because he was running for his life. He was a fugitive and he trusted in God. Get this with me. As a nobody, David trusted in God. As the rising star, the hottest topic, he trusted in God. And now as a fugitive, we'll see that he trusts in God. Look at how he cried out to God. Psalm 7, Psalm 32, Psalm 27, Psalm 31, Psalm 59, um, Psalm 34, um, Psalm 52. All different psalms that he wrote while running and really wrote about his running, about the deliverance of God. He wrote those songs on the run. 
The, pink, the, the ink on the paper didn't get time to dry because that song was being penned as he ran for his life, crawling through the ditches, hiding in the caves of Judea, doing anything to hide from the assault of a king who had lost his mind and wanted him dead. David was a fugitive. And here's what he didn't do. He didn't go back to Samuel, who was a powerful man of God and knew the frailties of King Saul. He didn't go back to Samuel and say, hey Samuel, remember that time you poured oil on my head? How about we cash those chips in? How about you make me king? You said I would be, what's going on? He never did that. He never went back and tried to get something. He never rallied his soldiers. Remember, he was loved by the army. He never rallied the soldiers to throw a coup into it and take over the kingdom by force, though he could have. One of the songs that they talked about for David was David, when they came back from a campaign, David and Saul were coming back into the city and the women were singing in front of the the parade of soldiers. Saul has killed his thousands, to which Saul's like, what up? You know, it feels pretty good. And then they followed with the second line, and David, his ten thousands. David had troops who would fight for him. He was an effective and lethal warrior but he didn't manipulate them to throw a coup. He didn't manipulate the masses who sang the songs to turn against the king. He simply, empty-handed, ran away and hid and fled for his life. He ran from the situation and trusted only in his God. He would ask questions like, God, should I go here? Or should I go there? I mean, check that out in uh, 1 Samuel 17. He would ask questions like, God, will you provide for us? And he went to the tabernacle at the temple, at the tabernacle in the city of Nob. And the priest there gave him the bread of the presence and the sword of Goliath. And it nourished him and his men and they continued on. God, protect us. Read some of those psalms. Psalm 7, Psalm 27, 50, 59, 52, 34. Read one of those, the God protect us kind of moments. As a nobody, he trusted God. As a rising star, he trusted in God. As a fugitive, he trusted in his God. And as the one with the upper hand, when he finally had the upper hand, David trusted in God. Join me as we read 1 Samuel chapter 24, Verse 1 through 22. This is an awesome story. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told uh, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Real quick, that's not the Hilton, right? David's living in the crags, in the little cliffs where wild goats lived. They scurried up the mountain and they hid. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. It's the ancient public restroom of the, it's the public restroom of the ancient world. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, yeah, I got to go to the cave. So he goes in the cave, and Saul goes in there to go to the bathroom. David and all his men were far back in that cave where Saul went in. The men said, this is the day. This is the day the Lord spoke about when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed 
and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a square or a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Do you hear what he said? David was also anointed, but did you hear what he said about Saul? He is the Lord's anointed. I should not have even laid a hand on his, his garments. I shouldn't have laid my hand on him. He is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So Saul does his business, doesn't know his life was in danger, and then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, laid his face, prostrated himself on the ground, and said, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. To which David's men are like, dude, whoa, super under the bus here. Now they're guilty of treason. Like I just think that's some of the fun in scripture, right? When David said that, they'd be like, oh, oh gosh, you know, like now we're in trouble. So he says, you've seen this. I was urged to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on him. He is the Lord's anointed. Now listen to the affection of these words. See, my father, do you see? He's calling Saul, look, like a dad. See, father, look at this piece of your robe in, your, in my hand. I cut the corner of your robe off, but I didn't cut you. I didn't kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Don't forget, Saul was in this place with 3,000 men hunting David. Like, just think of what this looks like. David goes on to say, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hands will not touch you. Oh, that's awesome. It's trust. As for the old saying, as it goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Who have you come out to do war against? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord, oh, when David finished saying this, Saul asked him, is that your voice, David, my son? I just think that's an interesting turnabout there. Is that your voice? Can't you see Saul almost being like, Oh, please let that be anyone but David, right? He's brought thousands of men out to kill him, and he's got to be like, oh, no. And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have test treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know, now these are the words of Saul, I know that you will surely be king 
and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me, swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off all my family, my descendants, and wipe my name and my father's name away. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. He stopped hunting him. And David and his men went up to the stronghold. Oh, that is rough. That is rough. Saul hated David. But why? Like, have you ever wondered that? What made him hate David? For me, I think there's a pretty um, honest and painful answer in this. It was envy. Real quick. Envy is this. So you have greed, which means I want it all for me, right? I'm going to take, take all I can. You have jealousy, which means I want what you have. Then you have envy. Envy is much more insidious. It's much more horrible. Envy says this, I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. I want to take what you have and leave you in want. I want it all for me, none for you. It's actually a more aggressive hatred of the person than it is a desire of the thing. And, and Saul was envious of David. And I think he was envious because Saul understood who Saul was. Saul understood who he was. If we look back into 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see something happen in the life of Saul. And um, it's uh, around the, the offering at Gilgal. Saul was waiting for the prophet Samuel to come. Samuel was running late. Heard it's a thing with pastors. I don't want to judge the man. Um, but Saul is waiting. Samuel's running late. And so Saul's like, you know what? Go ahead, build the altar. And he performs the sacrifice. And he gets in so much trouble. I mean, Samuel lays into him for this. It was a sin against God. But then we have the battle of the um, Amalekites. And what happens in this is, is like, it's painful to just read. Now we gotta remember, these things are pretexts to what we just heard from the scriptures. And the pretext is this. Saul was sent to a place to lay waste to a town, to absolutely destroy it, everything. Now, I don't wanna get into that, but I just want you to know, from Every living thing in that town was to be put to death. That's what was told to Saul by the word of the Lord, right? He goes there. He does, he makes war against them. They conquer them. And then we come to this point where Samuel is now approaching Saul shortly after the, the battle. Saul hurries up to Samuel and he says, my, um, my Lord, I've done everything the Lord asked of me. He's the king. It says that Saul was a very tall, imposing man. I want you to hear the words of Samuel. I want you to catch these words when he says it. So imagine this large, imposing king, probably bloodstains on him coming up. I've done everything the Lord told me to do. And these are the words of Samuel. Be quiet. Do you want to hear what the Lord told me last night? Oh. I mean, I just picture Saul being like, Remember that scene in Lion King when Simba has gone off to the elephant graveyard and, and they almost die, but you know, Mufasa saves him. And Mufasa and Zazu and Simba are on a hill and he says, and uh, Nala and 
Mufasa says, Zazu, take Nala home. I need to deal with my son. And Simba's sitting there in the grass, and he's like, oh. And he just he melts like butter in a microwave. Remember that? So you wonder why, why this scorching comment from the prophet Samuel, be quiet. Do you want to hear what God told me? There's a little thing that I just kind of left over. And I think it's important that we just pause there and look at it. First Samuel chapter 15, we have this thing happen where Samuel reaches Saul and he says, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions, said Saul. Here's that little piece from Samuel. What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, the soldiers, you see how he pushed the blame off? The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best of them and the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we did destroy the rest, to which Samuel's like, be quiet, be quiet. We need to understand that Saul knew who he was, and he always wanted the best for himself. And he would disobey God in just nuanced little ways. It wasn't blatant things, it was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice him to God. That's not what God told him to do. He wasn't fully obedient. Saul was not a good king. He tried to kill David for no good reason other than jealousy and envy. When David received the bread of the presence of the tabernacle from the priests of Nob, and they gave him Goliath's sword, when Saul caught up to it and said, has David come through? And they said yes, and he found out they fed David. He killed all the priests. He was not a good king. He was not a good king. He was rejected as king. God had rejected Saul and chosen David because, well, David had earned the people's respect. Saul knew it. Saul knew it. Then you have the story in the cave when David had a chance to slap Saul back and repay him for everything. He said, I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust God whether I'm, you know, whether when I'm a nobody, when I'm a star on the rise, when I'm a fugitive, or when I have the upper hand. I'm gonna trust God. My situations don't change my trust in God being who I am. And that's what he did. David didn't see that he could make his own future. He trusted that God had it. His eyes were fixed on God, and he trusted him. He would never move and act in his own power against Saul. He would trust in God's plan. Let me ask you a question. I've got a couple of questions. While you wait, will you trust God? While you wait, will you trust in God? Do you have an honor, a higher position, or a promise of some sort of respect that's coming your way? Man, those are hard to live into, aren't they? When, they're, when you live in the already, this is great Reformed theology, the already and the not yet. When we have these moments, we have to ask, how are you living as you wait? Will you hurry things along? Will you manipulate hearts and minds? Or will you trust in God? Remember, David was anointed king and he went back out to the pastures. Remember, David was anointed king and he went and took food to his brothers. He served the king. He played music for the king and he ran for his life. David knew how to wait. 
God was his strength in song when he was a young man tending sheep, when he was a young warrior winning battles, and when he was a fugitive on the run. He loved God because he was God, not because God promised him a kingdom. Will you love God because he's God, not because of what he's given you, but because of who he is? Will you love God because of who he is? I think it's an important thing. We talked about it last week. And we need to talk about it again. We worship God, not all the blessings. And we lean into him. I have an even harder question for you. And this one lands a little uncomfortably in me, if I'm honest. When you've earned it, or when they deserve it, will you trust in God? When we recognize that David had earned it, he had all the stripes and all the reputation and done all the things and had earned it. Yet he trusted God and he didn't take his future into his own hands. And when Saul deserved to die, he didn't take it into his own hands. Have you ever been face to face with revenge? Like, have you ever, have you ever been there? I know for me, um, my brother and I, I always paint Lincoln as somebody who wailed on me a lot, and uh, he did, but we were brothers, we wrestled. There was a lot of, you know, I didn't just receive everything, I instigated, I was a little more subtle in my game. Um, but uh, I will tell you this, one time, Lincoln and I were at the body shop with my dad, uh, he was working on a car, and we were sitting in there, we, it was one evening, and we were just kind of bored, we had already gotten our Coke from the vending machine, and we were just like, you know, beating on things. And we decided to start testing each other's reflexes, you know? We are like sitting at the doctor and he hits you and you're like, boom, you're like, oh, that was weird. You know, that kind of thing. So we're sitting on the hood. It was a Camaro. I remember that. And Lincoln's like, dink, and my leg's like, I was like, oh, that's awesome, you know? And so he got up on the car and he sat down and it was the early 80s, late 70s, bell bottoms. So pulling your pant leg above your knee was not a problem. There was no skinny jeans then. And so he hikes his pant leg up. He hangs his hair little leg over it and he's sitting there and I had a hammer in my hand and an exposed knee yeah we know what happened I was like what tack and I didn't have to hit it too hard oh man he buckled like a weak bridge he went down so hard and I'll tell you something like seriously though it was hard that was my game Like, that was my game. If I got an exposed weakness, I exploited it. I didn't have the brute strength he had. And, like, you know, Lincoln's probably sitting at home. He's like, because he knows. Like, that's what I would do. What do you do when you get the chance to pay someone back? When you get the chance to repay evil for evil? When they deserve it, what do you do? What do you do when you get the chance to replace someone? In a role you think you, were, you know you were called to, but maybe it's not God's time and you have the chance. Do you just maneuver a few social levers? Do you manipulate some, some, some relationships and have secret conversations? Let me invite you, don't do it in your own power. Don't do it in your power, you will regret it. You won't forget it. And you will experience what you do to them on your own life one day. Don't do it. Look to the Lord. Seek his face with your whole heart. Trust in him and dig into faithfulness when waiting is the hardest. I want to close with Psalm 27, one of the psalms David wrote when he was a fugitive, when life was at its most dire. He was being hunted. 
I want to read it to you. I want to, I want to read it together and hear these words. This is the latter portion of it, verse 11 through 14. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes and enemies or false witnesses. They rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. Hear these words. I remain confident of this that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait on the Lord. When you're being hunted, those are powerful words. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for him. One of the attributes of David that we know in history is he's revered as the man who is after God's own heart. And you need to know, David's story isn't always great after he becomes king. He makes some monumental mistakes. It's devastating. But one of the things with David that I love so much is that he always trusted in God. He would repent and return to God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was flawed but what mattered to God mattered to David. You want to have a heart after God's? What matters to God must matter to you. And that's my challenge to you today. Live a life, construct a life built on trusting God. This is such a good time in our nation, in our world, in our history, in our lives to begin anew, building a life that is not built on the pretense and the things we have. It's built on a life trusting that we will see God again, the goodness of God in the land of the living. But we must wait on the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. My friends, I invite you, trust in him. Build a life of trust even now. Pray with me. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift and the love of Jesus Christ in our lives through the story of King David his grandfather 27 times over. Thank you for that bloodline. Thank you for the redeeming gift of salvation in Christ. May we not trust in our own strength, in our own status, in our own abilities. May our trust be rooted in the same place David's was, in you, our God and our Lord. We love you. We thank you for who you are. And we ask that you give us the courage not just to wait but to wait faithfully for you and believe that you will always fulfill your word. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 27, it says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Waiting isn't easy, but it is something we do because in the waiting, God does something in us. God purifies our motives. He transforms us. Again, not easy, but very worthwhile. I love those words of David. He remains confident of this thing. And this thing is that he will see the goodness of God in the land of the living that his life yet will have good days. So he will wait for the Lord. He will be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let those words echo in your life this week. I don't know what season you're in. I simply know this. 
that you're being challenged by God through his word to wait on him, to trust that the goodness of God will return in your life in some measure and that God will fulfill his purposes in your life as you wait on him and obey faithfully. Whatever that next step of obedience is, take it, my friends. As you go into this next week, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for joining us in worship today. Have a great day.